So sure. one Mississippi, two Mississippi, two Mississippi three, Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, four Mississippi, five. All right. Yeah. So it's we're like Matt, a second right? and a half. So it, for those of you, I don't know if you're putting this cut in or not, as you're dealing with audio and we'll, we'll go into microphones, you want your audio levels to bounce between negative 20 and negative six. If your audio meters ever hit zero, they're just like uh, overexposure. There is no coming back from that. That is your sound wave now has a flat top. And the only time that is acceptable is if it's dubstep, because that's how dubstep is made. <laughs> Did I? Did we lose you? You're gonna have to so start I'm, over, Matt. Yeah, well, Matt's it. audio. I'll go ahead and say. Hey guys, thank you so much for coming back uh, for this week's episode. Uh, last week we talked about pre-production. It was an awesome uh, conversation. This week we want to talk a little bit more, uh, di deeper dive into production equipment, and so. You know, last week it was all about setting up the shot and, and getting the idea of where, what you were going to do, defining your avatar and all of that stuff. So, um, thank you guys. Again, we have, uh, Joe from Joe Jacks, the Joe, J O J A Q S. And we've got Dean DePlantis and DePlantis. It's made by Dean. Go ahead, Dean. And I appreciate everybody wearing the same clothes that they wore. Yes. Isn't that great? Yeah, but you got your vision went better. We were all six eyes up here, and then you just went and got LASIK in the meanwhile and don't have any glasses. Yeah. So we are recording this on the same night, and uh, yeah, that's just part of the benefit of, yeah. <laughs> think, Come on, it's think. movie magic. Don't give away the secret. <laughs> Joe, how you want to be referred to? So um, I'm looking at Joseph from JoJax as an idea. Um, Joe Jacks is J O J A Q S. I'm Joseph. My daughter's Jacqueline. I started okay. it when she was born, named it after her because I knew she was going to be my twin eventually. Here, 10 years later, she is my twin. She makes with me. Um, she learned to weld at eight. Uh, she does resineering. She's doing crocheting now, woodworking. Like she is my twin. When we did the face swap app and they put my beard on her, the mm -hmm. cutest thing ever. She looks just like <laughs> me. Um, I can't wait to see what she becomes. So I'm Joseph from Jojax. I think in the last episode is the first time I've heard my full name out. And it was kind of weird because I've kind of kept things, you know, away. And I, I wear my heart on my sleeves. I'm a very public person. I'm, I'm that, but I also want to protect my family and our privacy um, yeah. because the world is such a dark and weirdos place. Yeah. Yeah. I, in honestly, for the first couple, uh, interactions that we had, I was thinking, God, what was that guy's name? I had yeah. a similar situation with a slight different variation on it. I always was doing made by Dean, made by Dean, made by Dean. But when I was trying to come up with logo or branding to associate, like my invoices just had text on them. There, it wasn't anything fancy. And I was like, okay, I need a logo. And my grandfather had a car dealership in the 70s and 80s. And it was Duplantis Motor Co. with that script on the back of the cars. And I, I was watching a Duresta video and I'm like, well, shit, if his name's good enough for him, why can't it be good enough for me? And so I went made by Dean, but Duplantis was the logo. Well, then I got tired of every time I tried to print a shirt or a sticker or a brand, the made by Dean was so small in the font, the way it fit into the logo that it, it was wasted space and effort and, and just a frustration. And so I ended up just dropping it and I just put Duplantis on everything. That's how I go. But what the realization was, okay, everyone can find me now. They know my name. They know my last name. Can't hide from this. So the things I post are very vanilla. I don't, there's nothing, there's no birthday parties or like, I don't really post my wife anymore. Early on, it was a lot of us going do yeah. things and races and dinner. And now it's just shop content kind of stuff. Right. Because it, it's it, it's too public. I, I can't. Anybody yeah. who wants to find me can find me and know too much about. Yeah, especially when people at maker fairs they show up and um, know you and start talking to you like they know everything about you, and that's such a weird experience. 
that like I know I mean I'm horribly ADHD so I can look at somebody and we have totally had a conversation I mm -hmm. changed their life in some way shape or form and I'm looking at them like I got no idea who you are I apologize yeah. I genuinely I apologize you won't have a problem until you're in Target and there's a picture of your family in a frame for sale on the on the shelf oh, that's Lord. what you gotta worry about <laughs> yeah I like your stickers look at that yeah, I've got a, a whole nother two doors of it. I got my first sticker. Oh, I'll mail you some. I'll send you a message on Instagram. Well, get your I just did my I first one. 50 so I, different uh, versions. I just oh, did my first sticker. sticker. The, oh, okay. from sticker uh, Derek from Malden is who kind of hooked me up with this. And I got my first sticker. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. Yeah. I used to wear um, bow ties. It's perfect. Just like the shirt, the shirt with the bald yeah. patch, it's the same. Um, I, I used to wear bow ties every Tuesday for six years. Wow. And as the beard got big, people are like, why? Where's the bow tie? <laughs> yeah, where's the bow tie? And so I said, I made the joke that I was going to cut a hole for it and said, you know what? That's my perfect logo. Yeah. My wife, uh, I wore bow tie one time too. At, I was part of the president's awards at my job. And uh, so I decided, well, let me wear a bow tie. I want to be, you know, different. So I wore a bow tie to it and she's like, oh, you look so sexy. So mm -hmm. she signed me up that weekend. <laughs> she, she, I didn't know about it, but she signed me up for the bow tie of the month club. So I got 12, I got a bow tie a month oh. for 12 months and I'm looking to make it's a walnut rack. keeps on giving. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I have probably worn bow ties one time since. So I've got 12 bow ties. I, I got to get through at some point, but. You know, right then, you know, it was pandemic and everything else. So, <laughs> yeah, I might but. take them to that's actually when I stopped. I wore them from 2014. Yeah. So 2014 until the pandemic every single day. So it was maybe eight years that I was doing it. Um, but I'm thinking about taking them to Maker Camp just so people understand the logo. You know what you should do? You should do an entire YouTube video with a bow tie on, but but nobody would be able to see it because of your beard. Yeah. And then yeah. at the end, just kind of like swoop your beard. And then people will be yeah. like, oh my God, he had a bow tie on the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Like look off. Actually, yeah. that's a good idea. I think I'm going to do it. You should do that. I used to do uh, one of my first management roles, supervisor roles. I do the thing where every, I'd go buy a bunch of ties at Michael's or Mar Marshall's or whatever. And I'd bring a tie in every week and I'd hang it on the doorknob of my office. And that was the tie of the week. And whoever performed the best that week would get the tie on Friday. And we would That's all awesome. wear, you had to wear a That's tie funny. that you won. So on Friday you'd wear a tie, but only if you won the tie in the, awesome. the tie of the week. It, awards. Didn't that used to be like a uh, symbol, like don't come in, don't come in the room. Yeah. If the tie is hanging on a the sock. door. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> it's a sock on the door. Unapproachable boss, huh? So speaking of pre-production, <laughs> Since I am new to this podcast world, Dean, what is what, quick question? What are some of the must-have pieces of equipment if somebody were to start a podcast? And I'm getting my pencil ready. Yeah, well, so the first thing, and we all have them on. I, I think you need headphones if you're going to do a podcast. The most baseline thing you have to get rid of is the echo, and the mm -hmm. only way to get through, rid of the echo is to have the feedback isolated. So you've mm -hmm. got to get a pair of headphones that are comfortable enough for you to wear. For however long, you know, if it's an hour podcast episode, you're going to record for three hours probably mm -hmm. if the guest is interesting. So you can't have your Apple headphones in or your AirPods. You get yourself mm -hmm. a pair of headphones. Uh, mm -hmm. Next, you got to decide if you want to go USB mic or you want to go the next audio file level up. Um, USB mics are fine. You can buy a $35 mic and make a podcast that anyone will listen to because it's really driven by content, not sound quality all the time. Mm. Having said that, you have to spend some time in the software, in the production and editing software, to understand how to level your audio. If you have a podcast, you will lose more listeners faster when you have three people on and I'm yelling at you and you two are whispering and people are going to mm -hmm. turn it off and go to the next podcast. It's a competitive yeah. marketplace. And if you drive people away, they're never going to come back. Yeah. yeah, there are podcasts that I've unsubscribed to because they, you know, I give them, I give them a couple different episodes and then, uh, you know, at, at one point when the host is super loud and the guest is, is very quiet or there's just a lot of static and stuff like that, uh, for me, uh, I can't, I can't listen to that. It just, it annoys me from a production standpoint. So I'd have to agree with that, you know, hundred percent. I think the one other piece of equipment that sometimes people go the wrong way on 
it's kind of like buying a, a $10,000 saw and putting a $10 saw blade on it. Mm-hmm. It's buying a $300 microphone and buying a $26 boom arm or no boom mm-hmm. arm at all. Because mm-hmm. if your microphone is in a stand on the table, every time you touch the table, it'll pick that up. Every like time this? your phone vibrates, it'll pick that up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I'm saying this, Matt has a, doesn't have a boom arm. Not yet. A boom arm. It's in my you Amazon just have to cart. get the microphone off the table. And spend the money, $100 on a boom arm is yeah. more valuable than $100 extra on the microphone. Because okay. a $300 mic versus a $150 mic, you won't hear the difference in the quality that we're producing podcasts. And this isn't a recording studio, it's a podcast. Mm-hmm. So but, Joe, yes, uh, Joe, give me a, a, a name brand that you would recommend for a boom arm. Put you on the well, spot. Well, the name brand doesn't matter if they're, it's kind of like Harbor Freight. You know, I rent tools from Harbor Freight because I abuse them. So I tell people like when I'm teaching my welding class, um, don't buy a Harbor Freight tool that has complex parts. Mm-hmm. Buy the stuff that, you know, it's just a motor and it's a switch. So the boom arm name brand doesn't matter as much as the equipment that it's holding. Just like Dean said, spend the money because, uh, in video production and audio production, a lot of these, you absolutely get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. If you get a $20 boom arm, it's a $20 friggin' boom arm. But if it's right. a 99 boom arm, you need to understand what the benefits of it are. It could be, uh, more friction. Like this one, I can stretch out. The mount for this is about three and a half feet away, and I'm able to bring it to where my microphone is just out of camera view. Now, I'm assuming that we're in this portrait mode that we can see and not you guys can't see what's happening off here to the side because I'm trying to keep some of that private. So let me know if you can see my underwear hanging from over there. (laughs) Another reason for people to go watch the YouTube version of this. But the boom arm, by having good friction and support, just like he support. said, yep, you can't support. hear me clicking my pen on the table. Just like yeah, somebody will buy good a, friction and support. <laughs> yeah, good friction and support. Somebody will buy a, a, a Yeti. So Yeti's a, a an intro, a, a good quality intro microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you buy the Yeti. It's probably there are like 150, 200, somewhere in there. It depends on the model mm-hmm. you get. And they'll buy a, a $20 boom arm. Well, you just got this $200 microphone and it keeps dropping down because it's heavy mm-hmm. for with this boom arm. But the other thing, he was talking about the support. A lot of those have a screw type connector that, you know, wedges onto your desk, but then the boom arm slips into that and that's not a solid joint. So mm-hmm. it'll drift away from you every time you try to move it. You think you've got it in the right place and it drops yeah. down and falls back. Um, the, You're I, falling out, they, of the, out of the frame. <laughs> right. They work okay. The ones with the external springs are the ones I try to stay away from just because they're yeah. noisy. They creak. Um, I just don't like the way that they secure to the table. Uh, you don't have to spend $500 on one. I think a hundred dollars is a very quality boom arm. And, and you do it once. Um, I've had the same one, not this one that we're on, but I've had a same boom arm for eight years using it every single day doing this kind of thing. But I will go back to where, uh, you know, you're talking about the Yeti mic. Um, love it. You don't have to go sure. You can even start with, um, you know, blue makes a Yeti, blue makes a snowball, blue makes a bird, you know, all, all these different spectrum. Uh, I'm going to plug a video right now because I spent 60 hours making this 10 minute video absolutely perfect. I tested 14 microphones, four makers, head to head, no audio editing, just normalized uh, to negative three dB and uh, did like four or five voiceover mics, five or six lavs, uh, shotguns, et cetera, in the shop, in the studio. Mm-hmm. Where when you go and hear that, I keep my voice static level the entire time I'm doing this. And I had all of the microphones going at the same time. And in Premiere, I had 14 audio tracks that Mm -hmm. I just cut between them. So you hear the audio and difference. And where everybody loves this Rode video mic, the one Mm -hmm. that clips on. And there's some cameos in the video just to make this solidify even more. Um, It's great if you don't know any difference. Mm -hmm. But when you know the difference and when you hear the difference, and I feel like that's a Sony commercial, hear Hmm. the difference. Maybe it's Maxell. Those old tapes get thrown back. Yeah. 
that it it is worth it, but it's also the law of diminishing returns. Yeah. Is that the one that had John and Izzy in it? And they were running. Yeah, that was a good video. And Suman uh, and Jake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was it's a great video. Uh, you definitely check it out on uh, on Joe's channel, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. And so, tell me about is a anti vibration or anti shock uh, thing necessary for it then as well? Hundred percent, because you're you know sound is vibration. Your sound waves are vibrations, and every time you thump the table, uh, it's it's transcribing, trans, transforming, trans, it's getting in there. Mm-hmm. And the issue with it is all these vibrations happen. So the two things that are imperative are the shock mount, which is a rubber band, and the pop filter or microphones that have those built into them somehow with magic. And yeah. Joe, you don't have an anti shock on that microphone, do you? So it's built in to uh, the casing of it. And what we're talking about, I am on a Shure MV7. Uh, looks like, uh, Dean, you're on a, in a SM7B? Yeah. Yep. So this is the USB wannabe version of that microphone. I do still have uh, XLR inputs. Uh, I have monitor uh, headphone outputs on it. The issue is this thing records at like 20 dB down. So whenever I'm in audition, it it helps to prevent noise, but it has a built-in pop filter and a built-in shock mount that's at like a 40% quality. I do wish they still had shock mounts for this. And Matt, I know you have experience with microphones in your recording and in the, the work you do on Sundays. Uh, but so the shore mics that we're using are a different style, more like what you would see someone on stage where the, mm-hmm. you're talking directly into the mic. And the right. Yeti that you have, um, it probably hangs down vertically or, or up vertically. And mm-hmm. it's made to also be used to capture 360 degree sound. That's and right. So the way that those receivers are built into that mic, the shock filter is is much more necessary. Mm-hmm. Ours are, are omnidirectional omnidirectional so if i talk this way it doesn't pick it up it, it wants to be talked to right. your microphone has the option to be cardio and and take up 360 degrees sound so that's when those things are, are really yeah see that microphone you're holding up yeah you would need any kind of filter uh shock absorption for that because it's designed to be talked directly to and, and the reason i don't use this is because i have to have it kind of in my face and that's the reason why i ended up getting the yeti now this one plugs in to uh, and I'm going to, and this is why I had to have subject matter experts on for this. And maybe the takeaway from, from this episode or from these episodes is maybe I do switch over to that and just invest in a good boom instead of, and, and then maybe just use the, the Yeti if I was to do some sort of 360, you know, group conversation. And the 360, the only drawback and why we never did it is you have to have one channel now. Because if you have multiple mics, you're going to start getting echoes. So you use that mm. when it's in the middle of a table and you're doing a roundtable type discussion. Uh, but one thing I, I just wanted to really impress upon people, don't go spend $5,000 on your podcast setup, mm-hmm. episode one. I mean, make yeah. sure you want to do it. Make sure you have the time in your life to commit to recording, editing, and publication. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's a lot of time behind it. Somebody's yeah. behind the scenes doing your social media. And, and yeah. maybe that's an opportunity where you hire someone or contract some of that out. Mm-hmm. to do all your social media or to do your uploading or to do your editing, whatever that may be. Uh, but you know, we talked about the different connector types. The microphone Joseph has is, a, I would say, is a much better upgrade for that. Okay, I've done 20 episodes. I'm going to keep doing this mm-hmm. because of the dual inputs. Because once you go to the XLR, you also need now an audio interface. So there's mm-hmm. another couple hundred dollars and an audio interface to be able to get the sound out of the mic into the computer. And then these sure microphones are very gain heavy. Are hungry, so you have to buy a booster. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now we're talking about another hundred dollars. So we're just to switch a microphone. It's not just the microphone upgrade. You've got another four hundred dollars in equipment uh, to get to that point. So you know, just stay humble in pit. the beginnings. Yeah, mm-hmm. stay humble in the beginnings. Twenty episodes. Uh, Vincent Ferrari yeah. always said, if you get twenty episodes, there's a chance you'll get to a hundred. If you can't yep. get to twenty, then so get to twenty and then decide if you want to keep spending the money. Yeah, I did invest a lot of time uh, editing the first three episodes and, um, you know, just a lot of new takeaways. And I, Dean, when I was on your guys' podcast and you had mentioned, you know, oh, well, now we've got to, you know, go edit and stuff like that. We record for two hours and then, you know, editing time and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, there's no way it takes that long. 
Oh, it definitely takes that long. Uh, but this is a great uh, plug for uh, Patreon. So I am setting up a Patreon. And um, so if you are interested in great audio content on this uh, podcast, uh, consider uh, checking out the Patreon. There's different levels there uh, that you can select any anything from a very small uh, amount that you can do monthly um, up to a larger amount. And that money will be reinvested into the show to provide better content. Check out the Patreon page. Joseph, do you have Patreon? So I, I wrote this note down because I want to ask you all this. Um, let me preface by saying I'm not interested in expanding my viewer and subscriber and follower count. I would rather have quality than quantity. So I've tried to figure out how to monetize this. I'm not in this for the money. I have an amazing day job. But I do need to pay for equipment and things like that. So I've considered doing mm -hmm. a Patreon add-on. The issue comes that I have to edit so much stuff out for it to mm. be digestible. And Time. what normally takes me 45 minutes to two hours in a live session, I have to get it down to 11 minutes. So there's a lot of things left on the cutting room floor that mm -hmm. I've thought about doing a Patreon. And I'm here in this moment to seek advice from you two on how do I do this? Do I do it monthly? Do I do it by episode? Do I do it where they have access to downloadable content? Because I have these files that I make, like I'm holding up a storyboard um, mm -hmm. template uh, that is just on jojax.com. And that's J-O-J-A-Q-S for people who can't see the logo. Um, and I've tried to figure out, should I do this? Patreon because I want to make it worthwhile to the viewer to give them something. So let me ask you all, what do you think I should do having much more information to give people and how do I do this? I give this advice to anybody. When we started our podcast, I was against Patreon because I was like, we're going to give people, look, why do they even care what we have to say? Let's give them everything we have to give them so that it's quality and we get followers eventually the cost started racking up. You know, we pay for a Zoom account. We mm -hmm. pay for an Adobe account so that we can edit. We mm -hmm. all ate the cost of all our recording equipment and it just things kept going. And then there were other things I wanted to do. We wanted, we're going to do an ornament swap this holiday season. Mm -hmm. Who's paying for all that shipping? You know, there's yeah. costs. Who's paying for the sticker swaps? Who's buying the stickers? Who's paying for the mailing, the envelopes? Right. There's just costs that start to add up. So they talked me into doing the Patreon and I found out very quickly, there are people out there who want to support you. There yeah, are people absolutely. out there that consume your things, who they consume your content, and they want to support you. And the only difference between you and a famous comedian or a famous actor, the, the, there may be more and more followers, but there are still people out there who feel as passionately about you. And mm -hmm. the things you just described, the media packet, the printouts, those things where they can go, okay, there's so much on the internet. All this stuff exists. Storyboards exist on the internet. But yeah. if I can go to my guy, Joe Jacks, and I know that, hey, I'm in the school of Joe Jacks and the church of Joe Jacks, and here yeah. is my Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, Here is his printouts. Here's the things he uses. I can trust the quality and consistency, and that'll take me to a place. You're going to get people who join your Patreon and want to consume that content. You know, you can have a generic template for the the public, but then you could have a more in-depth uh, template, maybe one that gives you prompts and things like that. And that one can be more for your Patreon uh you know, people. So they get a little bit more like a, a leveled up uh, version yeah. of it. I'll say this. I feel a little contrary to that. I always feel you give value for free. Get Because what you're trying to get is people in the door. And so mm -hmm. you give your best stuff out there for free to get people in the door. And once they're in the door, that's when you give them the, the drive down micro version. So here's mm -hmm. my best. If I've got an hour of content, here's my best 11 minutes. This is yeah. the best of the best. But if you want to know more specific, all the questions you have, I, I can't answer them all in my in the comment section. If you want to know more, come over to my Patreon. I probably mm -hmm. answer the questions in there. I'll have one-on-one -on -one conversations with you. But give them your best so that you get, because it's a competitive marketplace. Yeah, you know, Joe Jacks may be one of the first in this maker deal, but that doesn't mean in six Correct. months. I mean, look how many podcasts have popped up in the last two years. Oh, yeah. So yeah. you've got to establish yourself as a subject matter expert. You've got to establish yourself as a credible, reliable source. And once you get them in the door, 
then you give them the, hey, the nitty gritty. Hey, here's what you're paying for is all the behind the scenes. Why don't you go ahead and give us the uh, the intro to uh, production equipment? So just like last week, we talked about the four pillars to pre-production. Again, as a refresher, that is your outline, storyboard, script, shot list. There's four pillars to production equipment. That's your camera, obviously. Uh, that is your microphones or your audio because video without audio is surveillance. Then you have lighting <laughs> because we have to be able to see you. And then you have stability because your mount, your tripod, no matter if it's a tripod or not, keeping your camera steady is one of the first identifiers to a professional shot. Mm. And a quick tip, a tripod is not necessarily a device with three legs. It's three points of contact. You have two feet. Stick your elbow up against a solid object and you become a tripod if you don't want to spend $20 at Best Buy on a piece of junk. So actually, you mentioned that in at WorkbenchCon when we were there, and I found myself uh, when I was so I'm doing I do B-roll at church, uh, and so I use a Blackmagic camera, and it's a Blackmagic Pro or just a Blackmagic camera. It's the thing is it's a freaking brick, right? Um, yeah. I'm used to using my Sony A7, and I, I've got it on a tripod because I work alone in the shop. But when I'm doing B-roll for somebody else. Um, you know, I'm moving from maybe stage left to stage right, house left, house, house right, you know, uh, up to the wherever. I'm moving Running all around guns. with this. Yeah, exactly. And I found I was really jittery if I didn't have my arm on something. And so I put that to practice in that. And so now I'm getting much more uh, smooth shots. You can tell the difference between someone who, who does that or someone who's really just holding the phone with two hands because it's, mm -hmm. it's a lot more jittery and you're not going to get a nice seamless pan with it. Uh, if you go back into my Instagram from WorkbenchCon 2020, uh, people were, you know, complaining about a tripod in their floor. Mm. And Jason Bent brought out this awesome five-gallon concrete bucket with a pole on it. And uh, I wish this is an audio medium. I was about to show you the arm off. But if you go to my Instagram channel um, – MagSwitch was there at WorkbenchCon, and I had this idea, came home, made it. I took a 400-pound pull MagSwitch magnet, tapped the block, put a Manfrotto magic arm on it, and I have suspended my $7,000 Sony cinema camera mm. over a bandsaw and <laughs> mounted this to it. Mm. You know, Joseph, I have a poor man's version of something like that. Uh, machinist, so I have a metal lathe and I have a machinist tool holders, magnetic base, two point articulating it arm with a, a tool holder at the end. And I made connectors for my GoPros. So whenever I'm going to put a GoPro in something, your table saw is magnetic, your bandsaw is yeah. magnetic. I can move this around and use that magnetic base. It's It's been a great tool for it me. It kills me that uh, I, I thought I had this ingenious idea. I never saw it anywhere. <laughs> I get my first metal lathe and I see that damn caliper on the friction arm. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Why didn't anybody tell me? I felt like a, such a genius hmm. and machinists have had it for however many years, <laughs> but not the Manfrotto magic arm, the 244 with six pounds of friction force. Oh, yeah. I put a camera your size on mine. It would fall in a second. <laughs> and I want to you gloss over something that's super important. Um, you know, we've been talking about, you know, those you, you're an expert in one field and sharing knowledge. The inverse is true as well. Mm -hmm. Go to those that are your audience and find out what are their concerns. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I've never like met that. a woodworker that wanted a three foot tripod yep. in their shop. I mean, there's they're in the way. They're constantly in the way. And all your lights are on tripods originally. Your camera's on a tripod originally, and if unless you're blessed with a giant workshop, a tripod is in the way. Yeah. So creative solutions and understanding what the problems are of your audience uh, can help you provide better results. I recently just, I've been working on my shop a lot, and uh, I've seen other guys. In fact, Austin, uh, who's on your podcast, Dean, Austin has yeah. this fantastic overhead uh, track system, and he's mm. got a, a boom arm that comes down. He's got a monitor uh, that he can, it, it, it's battery powered monitor 
Yeah, runs on DeWalt batteries. Yeah, and Good. so he he has all of that kind of in one like area. So if he's doing you know uh, lathe shots or or metalworking or whatever, he can see the shot. And I don't know what size the monitor is. You know, maybe twenty inch, twenty five inch, something like that. But he can see the shot. I find a lot of the times when I'm shooting my stuff. There you go. For those of you uh, on YouTube and seeing seeing it, that's the Manfrotto that he's holding up right there. I've got one of those. So by the time this show airs, I've got the Manfrotto. I'm going to have a track system installed with the Manfrotto. So that way I can either connect my iPhone or my Sony to it um, and have a track system very similar to what uh, Austin has. Yeah, and we don't need to go too deep into Austin. You can go watch his YouTube videos if you want to see how he put it up. But I was going to bring it up. The arm Joseph talked about, that's where I'd seen it before. Austin shop, it's actually not that big. It looks bigger on camera. Yeah, I think that applies to a lot of things. But, um, he's got a he track a that runs shot. right down the center of it. Yeah, he's so got it's a, a gantry track that runs setup. right down the center of it. Yeah, it's a gantry setup. And the, the one problem he really had to troubleshoot was vibration and yeah. weight management. So when he would swing the camera out one way, he actually is using that monitor setup as his counterweight. Yeah. And what it allows, Austin's a machinist, and so he needed to get his camera in positions where he can't afford to look at the screen yep. because he's focused on these lanes. Mm, yeah. And so that's where the monitor comes in. It's an amazing setup. It really took his you know, visuals to another level. And if you're interested in a gantry system and, and you've got a situation like that, it's High Caliber Craftsman on YouTube. Um, he's got some good videos. I'll link, I'll link in the show notes. Well, and as I was, I've put off the stability and mount uh, episode of the Joe Jack's boot camp for that reason. B&H sells something very similar for like the tasty videos. And on Hulu, they do a behind the scenes of tasty and the food. Uh, all it is, is it's an overhead cam. So with a gantry setup, you've all seen a gantry in a factory where it's sliding. Oh, Izzy's new gantry for his uh, wood mover. If you haven't seen Izzy Swan's so cool. new gantry, it's epic. Mm -hmm. um, but I was wanting to do the same in the shop using black rod that we use for clamps. Mm. And mm -hmm. um, there's people in the filmmaking community who do V wheels that are skateboard wheels, similar to what you guys have for your CNC. And they've made cheese grater sliders that run on the black rails and you know, doing the counterweight. I, I don't want to go too deep into mm -hmm. it, but having a gantry system for two things, for your camera to slide on and mount to, and for your lights. Mm. All right. We'll talk about lights real quick. Yeah. I know it. everybody has these Barina strip lights. I own them too, mostly to make the shots so you guys can understand I have them. And I also have my Icon LED panels, my cheap GVN good video, video matters LED spots, um, big Godox light panels. I have airy production lights with a 650 watt bulb that I can cook eggs on in five minutes. Lol totas. I mean, it's ridiculous. So as woodworkers, as makers, you just need a high CRI bulb that is color rendering index. Incandescent bulbs that have a low CRI, meaning the red of that paint in front of you is not real red. Mm. But when you have a high CRI bulb, upper mid to upper 90s, that means that that red will look that red on camera. Hmm. Good. So Joe, you suggest going that route, not the LED panels that everybody thinks is the first thing they need to buy. So, I mean, back in the day before we had the LED panels, it was the Cowboy Studio CFL soft boxes. Mm -hmm. And for the people who are watching this on YouTube, I have a LED spot with mm. a grid box that you can see there. And then my fill light is a ring light. Okay. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, you just saw a little bit of my setup. The, the reason I say the LED strips are okay. They have a high CRI, those barinas that everybody has. Um, 
they're like a 94. They're in 5,000K. When I'm working in my shop, I do not oh, yeah. have these lights on. I have podunk, incandescent bulbs, um, and sometimes I'll write, wrap Chinese lanterns on them to get diffusion. Hmm. When oh. I'm shooting video, they give a flood. So hmm. three-point lighting is not necessarily three bulbs, but it's lighting from three directions. Mm -hmm. If you have all of those lights overhead, you have two points. You need a third. Those barina overheads create the raccoon eyes. Mm -hmm. So you need something low. And again, in the Joe Jack's video, I kind of explain and show it to you. You need that third point to fill in shadows. And so, Joe, in this kind of filming that makers are trying to do, do you suggest the three points and, and away from the shadows? Because I've heard shadows build intrigue, mm. but it sounds to me like you're talking about focus and presentation over film noir mystery. So let's start with the beginner. So if you're a beginner maker that is getting into content creation, I need you to first focus on the story, just like what we talked about last week in pre-production. Mm -hmm. Content is king. Tell that story. Secondary is the production value because people can forgive bad video to a degree as long as you have good audio. And as long as that's covered, even if it's kind of podunk, if you have a really good story, I mean, go look at Jimmy Duresta's footage. It is mm -hmm. not the best shot. It is not the best lit. Mm -hmm. But damn, is it cool and things that I'll never be able to do. Right. So I will say... Give it a little bit of effort into your lighting. Don't don't go overboard. If you want to have that cinematography look and you want to control the lighting and you are inept enough or competent enough to do that, by all means, do three-point lighting. Hmm. Whenever uh, I shot some of my B-roll footage for the editing video, I used my Godox 200-watt LEDs, and I've got uh, Bowen mounts or Bowen mounts with focus and that because I'm trying to get a specific look for the video and I'm doing open exposure with the welding and I wanted to have a silhouette look where right. only you can only see in my shop what's focused. If you yeah. go back onto Matt's Instagram, he shows how beautiful a shop is and he pivots to show how fugly the storage is. Right. In my shop, it's that way all around. So I use focused lights so you can't see all the crap in the background. I know Bao uses, uh, so Bao with DesignCraft, he turns off the lights in his shop mm -hmm. and he films during the day and he has the garage door open and he uses natural light uh, just coming in. So let's, let's say the, the sun is the most amazing light you will ever have for your production. If you are blessed to live in central California, that it barely rains and you have uh, giant garage doors and perfect diffusion and those, by all means, when you shoot indoors with natural light coming in, that is the best it will ever be. If you go watch the Revenant movie, they chased the sun around. There is not a single light bulb used in the movie, The Revenant. It mm. is 100% natural light. And they had to go from Alaska to Southern Argentina and all these places to get these shots mm. just for the sake of using natural light. If you're going to do that outside, magic hour is the hour before and after sunrise and sunset. Never shoot noon to 3 p.m. when the sun is high and hot. Mm -hmm. I heard on that movie, the bear was a real diva and they had problems getting the bear out of the trailer <laughs> to shoot those mauling scenes. Uh, you know, oh. He kept coming out. It was too late. The sun had already set. <laughs> it, they use um, Stay Puff or not Stay Puff, but uh, Jet Puff Marshmallows is are how, how they, they, they that's how trail. they train those bears. Wow. They do. That's how they train bears is giant marshmallows. Well, if you live in Houston, you're not shooting between noon and four anyway. I mean, you're oh. that's when you're that's when you got an ice pack underneath your your fanny just so you could keep cool. So, Joe, I've got all the lights, you know, I, I've bought them all and they come in and I'm just overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, they've got yellow light. They've got white light. They've got different temperatures. They've got different outputs. Uh, some are color, some are white, some yeah. are different shades of white. 
if I'm a beginner, where's the focus? Where do I need to just sit at and stay at mm -hmm. if I've already spent the money on these lights? Let's let's say it's even. Everything has its purpose. Uh, just because you own a tool, I guarantee you've got 15 tools in your wood shop that you haven't touched in a year, but they're there when you need them. Yeah. Let's say your lights are that. They're there when you need them for that specific shot. Whatever you bought, let's assume that you've bought an LED of some sorts because it's uh, low energy usage, low heat, et cetera. Your shop's probably already hot enough. So if you did the Barina setup, then do the flood and add some lower fill lights of some sort just to eliminate the raccoons. Mm. If you went and bought the three-point lighting setup, maybe GVM, which is the cheap version of Godox. Godox is the cheap version of Aperture. Aperture is the cheap version of Airy. Notice, mm. like, everybody thinks Aperture is the top. There's still even wow. more from that. <laughs> um so whatever it is you have, I don't care what it is, as long as it's even. Don't mix color temperatures unless you're trying to prove something. Now, I mix color temperatures in I have, and again, this is for the YouTube audience, I have landscape lighting that I use for a color fill mm. just to add. And notice how dynamic my shot is. I still have mm -hmm. my, and again, Y'all go watch this on YouTube so you can see my smiling face in this massive beard. Yeah. I I have primary colors that are in my um brand that I use in all of these shots. Mm -hmm. And these are landscape lightings, they're RGB LEDs. I've got a little remote and you can buy them in all sorts of uh power levels. So first thing is even. Second thing is artsy. Make mm. sure people can see it because your camera can only receive so much light. Number one, don't use a GoPro because GoPros are meant to be used outside. The sensors need to receive more light. But if you have to have your ISO so high on your camera that you're getting grain, then mm. you don't have enough lighting. You need just enough light that is even in temperature. If you can't get a high CRI in 5,000K and you're only stuck with the power company free LEDs that are at 2,700, that's fine. Try to counter that warmth with blue backlights so it evens out. No matter what it is, make it even so we can see the box that you're building. Joe, I always thought that a turning point in Matt's Instagram page was when he bought the Sony camera. So he went from the iPhone filming or the action camera filming to a SLR. You've already hit on GoPros, so obviously those aren't ideal. Yeah. If I'm a starting woodworker, you know, what should I look for in a camera? And keep in mind the atmosphere that I'm working in. It's one full of sawdust and yep. projectiles. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I'm going to assume people have the Google and can look up what an IP... 60 whatever rating is. I'm just going to assume that knowledge is there. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. So your first thing is your phone. Your If you have a phone from the last year or two, you have a camera in your pocket that is better than a $10,000 camera from 10 years ago. And that is all you need to start. You can go into pro mode on most phones. If you're on iPhone, they're doing that with the new iOS update. If you're on Android, there's amazing apps that can get to the root level. First of all, start with your phone. Get a very nice tripod mount for your phone. Um, it's out of reach and I can't get up right now, but uh, I just started testing the Elkhorn. Elkhorn, um, they make mounts for sliders and I found a like anodized steel or hardened steel phone mount. It's 70 friggin' dollars, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't mind putting this outside my car, mounting a, my phone to it mm. and going 60 mile an hour. Like it's ridiculous. It's better than the little spring loaded thing. Either way, Start with your phone. Let's just assume that you have started with your phone and you're ready to upgrade to the next level. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Light has to get into the camera. We used to be on film. How film works is it receives light information. Light is managed by the exposure triangle. The three sides to the exposure triangle are your aperture, shutter speed, ISO. ISO could also be called gain if you have an old video camera what is called gain is the same thing as ISO. ISO is based on old analog film. 800 speed film was more sensitive than 400, but 1600 was more sensitive than 800. So when you up your ISO, you are increasing the gain. Now, just like if you've ever had an amplifier that you turn the gain up, it is increasing everything coming into it, including noise. So there is a ceiling to how high you can turn up your ISO before you get too much noise. So let's say that we've hit the highest of our ISO. Then you have shutter speed. By a rule of thumb, your shutter speed needs to be double whatever your frames per second are. I shoot in 29.97, and we can talk about drop frame versus non-drop frame in, in, during post-production. But I shoot in 30 frames, 29.97 drop frame. So I have my shutter speed at 60. If I set my shutter speed at 30, then those Barina LED lights are going to start to flicker. You've seen mm. this when watching car commercials where they do the slow-mo slide and the mm. headlamps start to flicker. That is because the pulse width modulation of the LED dimmer is at the same frequency as the camera. Mm -hmm. We in America are on 60 hertz, so uh, 60 frames a second or a 60 frame shutter means that I could see the pulsing of LED lights mm -hmm. by me going up and doubling my shutter, uh, doubling my frame rate for my shutter speed. It helps to mitigate that, but you could end up seeing it when you do your slow motion and post production. So make sure you do um, it off numbers. If mm -hmm. you start to see the flicker, do that. High end lights have what are called high-speed fluorescence and high-speed LEDs. The Barina lights are not production lights. They're shop lights. So they mm -hmm. pulse with at 60 hertz. If you buy Icon, Godox, et cetera, their pulse width is at 240 hertz, which is faster than the camera shutter speed. The next piece of the triangle is our aperture. This is the same thing as your pupils in your eyes. Whenever you're walking in the middle of the night, trying not to bang your toes on the coffee table, your pupils open up. First, they let in light, then they let in color. So your aperture, your available light coming into the camera is only as good as the lens. The reason that I crap on GoPro is because it is a fixed aperture. The image sensor is uh, only so large, and so it only lets in so much light. And uh, there's many other things. I'm not even going to give them the time of day. So the reason that people want to go to mirrorless and DSLR and all of those is because the interchangeable lenses, you can save money on the body of the camera by spending a lot of money on lenses. There's a joke in our, wor our world that you date the body and you marry the lenses because mm. you will invest <laughs> all day long into lenses mm -hmm. and you will keep upgrading your body. I spent 20 grand on Canon EF glass because I had a 5D Mark III when they first came out 12 years ago and I made 10 grand off of that camera or actually probably more than that by now. And so I have a lot of EF glass for my Sony cinema camera. I got the Metabones adapter so I can use that glass until I spend the money to upgrade to Sony glass. And I think my wife's uh, lenses are going bad because she says I'm getting sexier with age. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I typically shoot at uh, 24 frames. Uh, I switched from, from 30 and I'm shooting at 24. So Dean, uh, you had mentioned... Uh, my content and how it, it had kind of improved when I got that, the mirrorless camera. Um, so I got that and I, I was doing some YouTube stuff and, and that taught me a lot about camera 
terms, technology, you know, and, and just how to, because I had owned other cameras before. I had the sure shot or something like that. I think the Canon sure shot or, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, I think pretty much everybody had that. It was like a $300 camera and you were like next level. You were the dad out there, you know, taking pictures and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I left that in auto. I never messed with the settings cause I didn't understand what M meant. You know, if I hit M yep. that, that meant everything was screwed up on my camera. Yep. Well, I got the Sony a seven, uh, three. I watched a, about 7,000 videos on YouTube on how to, yeah. you know, make my settings and all that kind of stuff. I got some really good footage out of it. Um, but what that taught me was how to frame up a shot, how to yeah. white balance, how to uh, be concerned about, you know, all the things that Joe just talked about. Mm-hmm. All that to say, uh, since, uh, what was it, about four months ago, maybe five months ago, You'll notice my my content got a lot brighter, and mm-hmm. it, it's a lot more, um, it, a lot better on the close up shots, and that's because I switched to an iPhone 13. So I'm doing nice. a lot of content on the iPhone 13, and the reason why I got it initially was, you know, I watched uh, Peter McKinnon on his, you know, he did yeah. reviews and stuff like that, and he's like, you can shoot with an iPhone. And I'm like, yeah. I have an iPhone and it's it's not doing what I want it to do. And so I was like, well, maybe I need to just up my iPhone and and try the 13 out. I got it because yeah. the cinematic version or cinematic option. So I got the, the, pro, the pro and I hate, I don't use the cinematic as, as much because it's too artificial for me. Um, oh, it's, it doesn't give you that it doesn't give you that depth of field, like a real depth of field. It's an artificial. So your your iPhone in that is fake like digital zoom. So for folks who don't know, when you zoom, let's say you have a, a modern iPhone that has the three cameras on it. You have a uh, half focus or a half zoom, which is your fisheye you know, wide angle lens, you have your one X and then you have a two or three X. Those are actual optical lenses. When you pinch and zoom into that, you have essentially, uh, scaled and cropped the outside. So it's artificial. When you do the cinematic look, you are doing an artificial depth of field the same way that zoom does blurring out the background. It is the exact same thing. It's using AI to do it. Any effect that is in any camera, whether it be GoPro, your phone, etc., use the raw content coming out. I'm not saying to shoot in raw. I'm saying use it as it comes out flat and natural and you have more power to do it in post. Just like if I decided to get artsy fartsy and I shoot in black and white and I record in that, then I can never do anything with it. But if I... Uh, do it in post, then I have the option to go whichever way I want to. So never use your camera's built-in effects. So with your cameras, let's make sure I wrapped it up. We have our exposure triangle, the benefit. Now, when you were talking about your Sony a7, is it a a7s3 or a7 III? a7 III. Okay. Yeah. So, so I didn't yeah. get the, yeah. No slut shaming here. I, it, yeah. I just want to know, um, I just got the F, FX3 about a week ago. And Joseph, just real quick, that's another misnomer. I know a lot of makers go straight to the SLR, to this, you know, the mm-hmm. lens camera. What happened to video cameras? What happened to the Handycam? Is that a thing of the past or is that still an option? It was, uh, do you remember House on Fox? The show yeah, House. Dr. House. That was the first one. They had a 5D Mark II they used to shoot a scene. And the shallow depth of field that was created with the DSLRs doing video made a huge shift for us. So the video cameras still exist. To give you guys an idea, when you are receiving light, the size of the image sensor allows for more light. So a full frame sensor is a 35 mil sensor diagonally. It's the same as a um, a piece of film stock from from 
back in the day. Back in the day, could have been like 15 years ago. Uh, crop sensors like an APS-C is, is a little smaller. So the bigger the sensor, the more light comes in, but also um, the shallower the depth of field. So when you hear shallow depth of field, that means the depth, meaning laterally from me to the person, that depth of field of view is smaller. That means your nose can be in focus and your ears out of focus. This is neat if you want to be artsy fartsy, but as a maker who can't stay in focus, don't get shallow depth of field, don't have high aperture or high-speed, low-aperture lenses. Video cameras, what was really special about them, like my big Sony that's up here on the shelf, they were triple-chip cameras. So instead of one large one-inch sensor, they had three one-third-inch sensors, one for green, one for red, one for blue. This mm -hmm. did not allow for a shallow depth of field, but it allowed for more light information to be received. So these are still around. Um, some cinema cameras do it. Uh, it's the Sony XD cam line, the PXWs, those. Uh, what's wonderful is you can get some of these cameras on eBay for a thousand dollars and they used to be 10 grand five years ago. They record on weird media. It's like $500 for 128 gig. But as long as you don't mind dumping it constantly, you can have this amazing triple chip camera. I bought one off of eBay for 900 bucks and I'll use it in um, my video where I'm comparing stuff. I want to make sure that we hit on that fourth bullet, which was microphones. And just real quick, I'm a new YouTuber. I want to make some content. Do I go shotgun microphone for those times I want to capture myself speaking in the shop or is lapel mic a preferred method? Great question. So it, let's say you're a woodworker who wants to make cutting boards. You could make cutting boards with only a table saw. You could make pretty much everything in your shop if you only had a table saw. Is it the best way to do things? No. But if I spent a lot of money on a really nice table saw and I couldn't afford a miter saw, a mortise and tenning jig, a CNC mill, all these sort of things, I could. I, if you watch some of Izzy Swan's ridiculous videos of how he made a bowl with a table saw, like, it's crazy the things you could do with a table saw. You could record everything with a hypercardioid mic, with a supercardioid mic, with a rifle mic, with a shotgun mic. You could record everything with one microphone, but every microphone has its use and its use case. So we are on voiceover um condenser microphone. So let's start with condenser versus dynamic. A dynamic microphone uses mechanical energy to convert sound waves into electrical energy. This is usually a uh, a drummer's microphone somewhere where it's a lot of sound vibrations that can excite that coil without needing outside influence. A condenser microphone has to use power from somewhere to excite that coil. It could be phantom 48 power from the camera or mixer, or like the ones we're talking on, it's uh, USB powered. So your uh, lapel or lavalier microphones are condenser microphones, and they're pulling power from your body pack. So most microphones you're going to use in the maker world, whether it be shotgun, et cetera, they're going to be condenser microphones, not dynamic. Shotgun refers to the pickup pattern, if you will. So um, I know people are watching this online, but I'll give kind of a visual here as I have the microphone in my hand. All right. You have uh, condensers. Uh, you have a cardioid pickup pattern. Cardioid is like a mushroom and it picks up, let's call it omnidirectional versus unidirectional, or let's call it uni versus omni. Wait, which is it? Universe, uh, one of them picks up everything like a boundary mic and the other one focuses. So you have a cardioid pickup pattern. A super cardioid has 
a more uh, traffic cone pattern up the front, and it has a little bit of pickup behind it. So that's a uh, hypercardioid. Supercardioid, the cone becomes more defined, and then you have a little more pickup in the back. When you have a shotgun, a true shotgun microphone, it picks up straight in front of it and just a little bit behind it. When you have a rifle microphone, that's what you see on the sidelines in a football field. The mm. issue is that these pick up everything, including uh, resonant sound reverberation. The reason this sounds, my, my voice is warm and natural here is because I am six inches away from this microphone. If I was using a cart, a um, shotgun or a people call them a shotgun, but it's really just a super cardioid microphone, it is picking up all of the reflections of my voice on the walls around me. So if you are doing a talking head style YouTube video and you are lazy enough or you don't want to wear the lapel mic, then you're mm -hmm. stuck using a super cardioid shotgun style microphone and you need to get it as close to your mouth as possible so that the volume recording levels are high enough that you mm. don't have to boost the gain in post-production. The further you have that microphone away from your mouth, the more natural sound is being pulled in. It could be your air conditioner. It could be 60 hertz hum from lights. It could be neighbor's dogs barking, et cetera. <laughs> no matter what the microphone is, it needs to be as close to the sound source as possible. Yeah, I've switched over to, um, for me, it's distracting from a visual standpoint when I'm watching a YouTube channel and they've got the, there are, there are content creators that I just, I love watching because of their, their content. But I find myself drawn to looking at that clip that's on their shirt. That's and you 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 know who I'm talking about. It, it, you know, great. I got content. one in my bag right here. Yeah, they got the clip on the shirt. They got the clip on the hat or whatever. You know, and um, it's to me that's a distracting. I guess because I'm looking at it from a content creation standpoint, I'm thinking, you know, it, I to me that's that's a visual representation. Uh, and then I start thinking about the sound quality. If I don't see, yep, that's the one. So if I don't see the microphone to me, then I'm not thinking about the audio quality. And so that becomes less of a distraction to me. So what I've started to do is if I'm doing a YouTube video, I don't do it with Instagram, but if I am wearing a microphone, I start taping it. I tape it underneath my shirt. So it's not a mm. visual distraction. And it's hard to say, maybe I'm the only person that gets distracted by that, you know, or, or maybe not. But so for me, I started doing that. Well, I, and I'll play the devil's advocate in this, this, and, and for those of you all listening to this, go check the YouTube. I'm holding up uh, the video wireless go from road. This has become the go-to for a lot of makers because I can clip this microphone on me. And if you go watch my video on microphones, you'll see Izzy Swan and John from Lincoln Street, et cetera. They all come in and, and talk about it because it works. It's clip on. You don't. You can buy lava. Uh, you can buy lapel lavalier mics to plug into these things to have a little bit better quality. But when mm. you just run and gun, this has become more accepted. Let mm. me answer the question by saying whichever microphone it's based on your style. If you're a talking head person, you need a lapel lavalier. If you're a voiceover person, you need a voiceover mic, or you need to record in your closet or put moving blankets up around you. You need to kill off every hard reflective surface. And just to echo what Joseph was saying, I don't make a ton of YouTube videos. I probably haven't made one in 10 months, but I tried the use the iPhone and, and walk and talk. And the wind background noise was just so overwhelming. Yeah. I did get the same thing. So I have the Ceramonic brand, but mm -hmm. uh, the the lapel with the pickup. Yeah. I also got the iPhone dongle. Mm -hmm. So I plug this straight into my iPhone. I don't have to worry about the receiver or That's a nice. separate capture device. It records direct audio into the iPhone uh, using the Ceramonic. Yeah. That's pretty good. 
Wow, what a ton of information on production equipment. Uh, if you guys want to know more about production equipment, make sure you're following Joseph on his channel where he goes more in depth on equipment. He's got a ton of content prepared that he presents regularly at various events. Dean also helped carry the conversation because he's a natural podcaster. Uh, you can follow him and his podcast. I'll link to both of those channels uh, in the show notes um, as well. Guys, thank you so much for doing this deep dive on this topic. I know I've received a ton of value um, in this episode, uh, so I'm looking forward to putting all of this stuff into practice uh, in my content, but I know we're not done with the conversation yet. Dean, Joseph, uh, can I have you guys back on another time to talk more uh, in what we do when we hit record, what we do with the footage when we're done with our shots, talk more about post-production? Yeah. Absolutely. Can't wait to come back to this masterclass. Yeah, we'll we'll go. Um, the next leg of it is production practicum. And uh, I'll talk about the nerd textbook. alert. Yeah, I'll talk about um, all of the shots to take you up to the next level. And then we'll spend some time in uh, post-production and give you some amazing tips to make that Band-Aid a little easier to rip off. So good. Yeah, I need Joseph to explain to me why my computer sounds like it's about to explode when I'm rendering a video. Oh man, that is, yes, me too. So thank you guys. I appreciate it. Man, we have been recording here for about uh, three hours almost. And yeah. so it's, it's going to be fun. Uh, yeah. And I only wish that I had the post-production uh, topic uh, before I go into the edit mode, but stay tuned. Make sure you guys come back next week. We will have both of these guys back on and and drive that into uh, the post-production so i'm looking forward to it guys as always thank you thank you for having us Thanks. matt it's awesome